Welcome to Medical Motherhood for January 8th, 2023. I'm Shasta Kearns-Moore. Medical Motherhood is a weekly Substack newsletter and podcast on the experience of raising disabled and neurodivergent children. It's the second Sunday of the month, and Medical Motherhood publishes Where is the Manual for This? An editorial cartoon by Lenore Eklund. You can see it on the website, but I also like to provide an audio description. It is a four-panel line-drawing cartoon titled, Where is the Manual for This? by Lenore Eklund. In the first panel, a mother sits with her arm around her daughter in a wheelchair and says, Can you help? The second panel shows an older man with square-rimmed glasses and a suit titled, Medical Professional. He says, Hmm, I'll put in a referral. The next panel is titled, Social Worker. A woman with a file folder and an ID badge says, I don't know about that. In the final panel, titled Other Parents of Disabled Children, a mom on the phone says, Oh yeah, we went through that. Here's what you're going to need to do. While her husband and child in the background play with a handheld mirror. There's just no substitute for been there, done that. Yes, medical professionals and social workers have their areas of expertise and can unlock access to specialized supports. But some days, you just need someone who has actually gone through it themselves rather than read a book about it, you know? I have learned so much from my community of medical moms and dads and know that my children are far better off for it. What's something that you've learned from other parents rather than professionals? You can let us know in the comments of this post or reply to this email if you're a subscriber. Time now for Medical Motherhood's News Roundup, snippets of news and opinion from outlets around the world. From the New York Times, Strife in the Schools, Education Department logs record number of discrimination complaints. Officials say the complaints, most alleging discrimination based on disability, race, or sex, reflect grievances that amass during the worst public health crisis in a century and the most divisive civil rights climate in decades. The complaints were logged as schools struggled to recover from pandemic-related closures and add to the declining test scores and growing mental health challenges that display the fragility in large parts of the country's education system. Catherine Lehman, the Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights, said the jump in the number of complaints, which have not yet been made public but will be reflected in the office's annual report in coming months, is both encouraging and sobering. It reflects the confidence in the Office for Civil Rights as a place to seek redress, Ms. Lehman said. At the same time, the scope and volume of harm that we're asking our babies to navigate is astronomical. The majority of the complaints in the last year, as in previous years, allege discrimination against students with disabilities. 
a population whose plight became more visible during the pandemic when schools drew federal scrutiny for failing to serve such students during school closures. From news website The Imprint, Justice Department slams Alaska for over-institutionalizing youth with disabilities. The U.S. Department of Justice has found that Alaska's use of residential treatment for youth with behavioral challenges likely violates the Americans with Disabilities Act by unnecessarily segregating them from society. If the state does not reduce its reliance on institutional care for these young people, they are at risk of a federal lawsuit to bring them into compliance with the law, department officials warned. Each year, hundreds of children, including Alaska Native children in significant number, are isolated in institutional settings, often far from their communities, Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark of the Department's Civil Rights Division said in a press release. Most of these children could remain in family homes if provided appropriate community-based services. Clark said her division looks forward to working with Alaska to bring the state into compliance with federal law and to prevent the unnecessary institutionalization of children. In a report released last month, the department stated that while community-based behavioral health interventions, including intensive case management, crisis services, home-based family treatment, and others, are permitted under Alaska's Medicaid program, They are not readily available throughout the state, with a particular dearth in rural areas. This leaves the state's system of care for struggling children and teens heavily biased towards institutions, with Alaska Native youth at an increased risk of such placements. From the New York Times opinion section, Why Saving Kids is Bad Business in America. There is a video at the link for this, and I would provide a trigger warning. It shows a seven-month-old in respiratory distress and several scenes from inside children's hospitals. It was hard for me to watch. But it is deeply important for those who might not be aware of the crisis in American pediatrics and what can be done to change course. In a quote from the article accompanying the video, the New York Times said, Profit-driven management has eroded pediatric health care in America, Healthcare providers make more money treating adults than they do children. As a result, the number of hospitals offering pediatric care has decreased dramatically over the last two decades. From Oregon Public Broadcasting, students with disabilities face setbacks, safety risks, as Oregon's special education system struggles. Entire systems of special education are fraying as teachers, administrators, and support staff try to stretch limited resources to meet intense needs. Schools are as close to resembling pre-pandemic operations as they've been since March 2020. But in special education, schools are falling far short of full support and staffing. That leaves students in special education physically at risk and academically underserved, even though they are among the student groups in greatest need after more than two school years of pandemic disruptions. The National Assessment of Education Progress, or NAEP, scores showed the gap between students with disabilities and other students remains wide in math with smaller gaps in reading. 
Oregon mom Sarah Schultz said her son was repeatedly restrained and sometimes would spend hours watching TV shows on his iPad at the last two schools. Schultz said her son would run around the school or curse at teachers. His behavior at home changed, too. Keith wasn't enjoying school anymore or learning, his mom said. He said, all days are bad days now. And he was also saying stuff like, I'm a stupid kid. All the bad things people think about me are true, Schultz recalled. Keith shut down, Schultz said. She decided to homeschool him where she said his communication returned and his behavior improved. I just wanted my kid to get taken care of and be able to be in school, Schultz said, and it's sad now because he's at home and he likes kids and I hate that he's not going. I don't know how long it will take for him to feel safe and trust adults. Medical Motherhood brings you quality news and information for raising disabled and neurodivergent children. Get it delivered to your inbox each Sunday morning or give a gift subscription. Subscriptions are free with optional tiers of support. Thank you to our paid subscribers. Follow Medical Motherhood on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, or Pinterest. The podcast is also available in your feeds on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Visit the Medical Motherhood merchandise store through a link on our website. Do you have a story to share or an injustice that needs investigation? Tell me about it, and it may become a future issue. Thank you for listening. Our music was composed by Ehimitsu and used under a Creative Commons license. Mama Radio. Oh, Mama all day.